I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Ted Bundy edition. (laughs) Yep. We're just doing a whole series on Bundy. (laughs) So we left off with my grandfather's testimony of um, what it was like to live in Colorado when uh, Ted Bundy escaped twice. So I thought I hope you guys thought that was interesting. Um, I wanted to talk to him about it because he's a really big reader of the news and always paid attention to that sort of stuff. So he was talking about aspects of the case that I was like, you know about that? <laughs> what? Yeah. So he's really knowledgeable about all of that stuff. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him. So after flying into Chicago from Stapleton Airport, which is now Denver International Airport in Denver, Bundy takes a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and drives a stolen car to Atlanta. And then Bundy arrives in Tallahassee, Florida by bus. So um, he signed a rental agreement at a building called The Oaks using a false name of a Florida State grad student, so an alumni, named Kenneth Meisner. And he moved in on January 8th, 1978. Um, he gained access to the campus with this name, and he even would have enough information for the school to actually give him an official ID. He would like go in and say that he was like it had gone missing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they gave him an ID. He also got a driver's license as well. And then in addition to using Kenneth's name, he would also use the name Chris Hagen. So he has um, two aliases. It's kind of like keeping on the down low in Florida. So how he paid for stuff is that he would steal credit cards. But he apparently was like a nice thief. And he would say that if someone looked like they couldn't afford to have a credit card stolen, they he wouldn't steal it. Or like if someone if someone's car looked like it was like brand new and didn't have any mileage on it and it was like a present, it looked like it was something like a gift or something, he wouldn't steal that car. I guess that's nice. I guess. But, I mean, kind of weird. <laughs> I just am like, okay. So he spent six weeks just chilling. Like, he didn't do anything to sort of, like, arouse suspicion um, about his location. So I will say that he isn't a master of disguise, and we discussed that. But he does look very different when he's in Florida. He, like, cuts his hair back really short, grows a little pedo mustache, and he looks just gross. Like, he looks gross. He doesn't look as clean cut and, and like, the organized, escapee Ted Bundy. He looked really creepy. Oh, in addition to that, he also, like, lost a whole bunch of weight when he escaped, mm-hmm. so he looked different from that as well. As I said, it only is, like, six weeks is how long he can last without doing something violent. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going to talk about the um, Night of Terror at the Chi Omega Sorority House. Oh, my God. I forgot about this. Um, yes. This is like this is the, the worst. craziest thing I have ever like. It, it is nuts. I what honestly like, was night. so caught up in everything else that I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. And this honestly is the worst thing ever. So on Saturday, January 14th, 1978, almost everyone was out at parties who lived in the Chi Omega sorority house at Florida State University. 
Margaret Bowman, a 21-year-old from a wealthy Florida family, was going on a blind date that had been set up by her friend Melanie Nelson, who was a fellow sorority sister. And that date was going to be at 9.30 p.m. Lisa Levi was 20 and also from Florida. She had worked all day, but she had agreed to go out with Melanie Nelson to a popular disco bar in town. Um, And they left the sorority house around 10 p.m. to go to the bar. Karen Chandler and her roommate, Kathy Kleiner, were both 21, and that night, Karen went home to cook dinner with her family and got back around midnight. Kathy went to a wedding with her fiancé and then went back to go to dinner with some of her friends, and then she was also back around midnight. So both of them kind of like said goodnight to each other and were in bed and asleep pretty soon after midnight. Nita Neary and Nancy Dowd also left the house for dates with their boyfriends. So this group of women is is important, all of these names. But each of them were like doing different things and they all came home at different times. And the timeline is super essential here. So that's why I'm going to break it down for you guys. So Break it down, Claire. I will. Thank you. <laughs> so Lisa didn't stay out late with Melanie at the disco bar and she got back to the Chi Omega house around a half hour of being out. So like, 10 30 ish and she just fell asleep early so another girl named mary ann picano was at the disco bar and a tall slender creepy guy asked her to dance um she agreed but he made her really uncomfortable so she was like super grateful when the song was over but she would say that he didn't really look like a student like he looked very out of place at the bar didn't seem very comfortable And she was just glad that she didn't have to deal with him anymore. So Melanie and another sorority member, Leslie, left the bar around 2 a.m. and noticed that when they got back that the door was open to the back of the house, which was a little unusual. In addition to that, they, like, couldn't lock it properly. So it was, like, broken or something. Nancy Dowd would walk in about 15 minutes later and also noticed the door wouldn't lock. So... That just, like, confirmed the fact that it was probably broken. Margaret um, had arrived a little bit before and was actually waiting for Melanie to get back. And she was sitting in Melanie's room. And she wanted to tell her all about the blind date that Melanie had set up for her and everything. So they chatted for a while. And they kind of, like, migrated into Margaret's room. And they talked. And Margaret, like, got ready for bed. And Melanie left her at 2.35 a.m. in the morning. And she heard the door to Margaret's room click shut behind her. Melanie would say hi to another sorority sister named Terry, who had just gotten off of work at the disco bar, and then would go to bed herself at 2.45 a.m. So Nita nearly got back to the house around 3 a.m. after her date. She noticed the door, too, but apparently she had known it was broken or she had maybe, like, seen that it was broken before she had left the house or something, so she wasn't really worried about it. But when she walked in, she heard a loud thump and then someone running on the floor above her. She turned around to face the front of the house, which was the foyer, and the front steps. She was sort of hidden in the back in this, like, dark doorway because she had turned off the lights to the room that was behind her. And so nobody could see her in that area. But... As she heard this running and was, like, looking around to see what was going on, she spotted a man running down the front stairs into the foyer. So she was in a dark area, but the foyer was still lit by, like, a chandelier. So just, like, imagine 
like the sorority house from Legally Blonde, like that big staircase that winds down the chandelier and the uh-huh. big main area. That's that's kind of what it looked like. And she was back behind the stairs. So she saw this guy who was clearly trying to get out of the house super quickly. She glanced at him for all of four seconds. And she would say that he was wearing all dark clothes, a dark hat, which which you would call a toboggan. And she got a very descriptive view of the profile of his face. Um, She said that he had a really sharp nose and was carrying what looked like a club in his hand. So she saw him bolt out of the house at 3 a.m. when she got home. So she woke up her roommate, Nancy, and told her that someone had just tried to burglarize the house. Because, of course, that would be your first suspicion that a random guy and like men were not allowed inside of the sorority house. So at first she was like, this is a guy that someone snuck in here. But just his behavior was odd and what he was wearing and the club. She was like, that's weird. And so she thought it was a burglary. So they were deciding sort of what to do. She and Nancy, when all of a sudden, Karen runs out of her room, holding her hands up to her head, and a large stream of blood is just pouring out of her face. So Nancy is like, what the hell? And she goes and she grabs a towel and helped her sit down while Nita just calls the police and wakes up the house mother that every sorority has. So it's like an adult female who lives upstairs. So luckily for Karen, she would survive her attack. Two of the others would not be so lucky. So when police and paramedics arrived, the whole house was awake by this point. Kathy had also been attacked. So Karen was attacked and we knew about that. And Kathy, her roommate, had been attacked and her jaw was completely broken. Her face had been beaten so badly that the paramedics suspected her skull had been fractured. But she was conscious and she couldn't remember anything because she'd been dead asleep when he beat her over the head. Karen was also beaten really badly and paramedics had to prevent both Karen and Kathy from choking and drowning in their own blood. Like that's mm-hmm. how much damage was done. So they had like um they had done tracheotomies on both of them and they had them on stretchers and were sending them off to the hospital. But like obviously they had to check the whole house and when they came to Lisa Levi's room or Levy, Levy, sorry. They discovered, one of the officers discovered that she was not awake despite everything that was happening downstairs. The police noticed a large blood stain and immediately got the paramedics into the room. They administered mouth-to-mouth and chest compressions, but nothing would revive Lisa. They also noticed that one of her nipples had been completely ripped off. Well, almost ripped off. Like it, It was hanging on by like a few strands of sinew is what the autopsy report would say. And her underwear was on the ground next to the bed. So she was, unfortunately, she was showing some signs of like life. They had hooked her up to a um, defibrillator and there were electrical charges going through her body. So her heart was like kind of pumping, but it not, but not really. And so when they sent her to the hospital, she would unfortunately be de- declared dead on arrival. So Melanie Nelson was also asleep and had to be shaken awake by an officer. She screamed, obviously, because there was a man in her room shaking her awake. But he was so relieved that she was just asleep after seeing Lisa's body and administer mouth to mouth and chest compressions to this poor woman who had been beaten so badly and clearly sexually assaulted. 
So the last person they checked on was Margaret, and they actually didn't think Margaret was in the house at first, but Melanie had seen her and had ha- like shut her door and watched it click at like 2.35 in the morning. So she knew she was in there. So when one of the officers went into the room, they pushed Melanie out of the room because they saw this really horrible sight, and Margaret was already clearly dead at this point. So she had been beaten so badly that her skull had cracked open and her brain was visible. Yeah. That's unpleasant. Isn't it? And a nylon stocking was wrapped around her neck so tightly that her neck looked very broken. Like it was so tight that it like it was not a normal, just not good. Her underwear was also laying on the floor next to her. So the attacks all happened within the span of 15 minutes, which is insane. So he attacked four women, killing two of them and sexually assaulting two of them. The 15 minute span would be if Margaret was the first victim, which I would assume she would be the first victim because she was she was already dead when they got into the room. But Lisa was still showing signs of life. It's like kind of assumed that it was like Margaret, Lisa And then um, Kathy and then Karen Mm -hmm. was kind of the order. So much anger. I know. And like, I mean, I know. And the other thing. Because he hadn't been killing for so long. So it just all kind of exploded exploded in 15 minutes. Yeah. So there were also 36 girls in this house that lived in this house. They weren't obviously all present at this time, but no one heard anything. Which is the terrifying thing. That bit. is so creepy. So he was so silent and so deadly and he did everything very quickly. Well, he is experienced. He is. I mean, like he had already killed over 20 women at this point. That's so... Yeah. Uh, the survivor's um, guilt of those women, I'm sure. Well, let me tell you about one of them. That okay. is such a good segue. <laughs> okay. So one of the girls who was roommates with Margaret missed Bundy's attack by a fraction of a second because she went to go brush her teeth. <gasps> yes. So he was in the room when she left the room. So it was like like they were kind of like right behind each other or like he was right behind her or whatever. And she heard someone walking past the bathroom. So he had killed Margaret when she was in the bathroom. Isn't that insane? What? I know. What, what I know. is this? I know. What is happening? Anyway, my uh, mind is like, can't yeah. handle this right now. Um, I believe her name is uh, Connie was her name. So in every room that he had the attack, which is three rooms, there were fragments of wood everywhere, which kind of confirmed that. Oh, the, the, the yeah. club. Officers believed that he had actually picked up a log, which there was a stack of logs behind the house for the fire burning the fireplace. So. This is like one of the most horrific and quick attacks I've ever heard of in my life done with someone's bare hands. 15 minutes and he killed two people and almost killed two others. And raped two people. Yes. Did, uh, yes. did no one scream? Nope. They were all asleep. And that was something. And he just like, yeah. you know, he just well, knocked them I mean, out. Like, yeah. He hit them so hard that they like were knocked unconscious. Yeah. And they didn't remember anything. So the the police were all over the place at the Chi Omega house. But Bundy had walked eight blocks down to a duplex. And the duplex housed 
Cheryl Thomas on one side, and then on the other side lived Nancy Young and Debbie Cicerelli. So the house was split in two. It had two separate entrances, but they shared like a common area in the middle. So it was kind of like they had their own separate spaces. All of the girls were really good friends, and both Cheryl and Nancy were dance majors at FSU. And Cheryl was kind of like hanging out at home alone by 2 a.m., and Nancy and Debbie would get home a little bit later than that. Um, So all of the girls went to sleep pretty quickly, and the duplex had like really thin walls. So Nancy and Debbie heard Cheryl like watching TV, and they like pounded on the wall, and they were like, turn it down, we're going to sleep. And she was like, ha, 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 okay. And they all said goodnight. (laughs) Ha, 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 okay. Ha, ha, okay, goodnight. So at 4 a.m. in the morning, Debbie heard loud thumping in the house. And I mean, like, it's a college duplex. So her mattress was actually on the floor. It wasn't like in a frame or anything like that. So the thumping was like shaking the whole house. And she was like, what the hell is this? So she woke up Nancy, who was nearby, and they both started to hear Cheryl kind of like moaning next door. And at first, Nancy was like, Cheryl's with a guy. Leave her alone. (laughs) She's having really great sex right now. Okay, that's the thumping. And Debbie was kind of like... Let's just go check. (laughs) Cheryl doesn't do that because she had actually, Cheryl had a boyfriend at this point and they didn't really, like, he didn't stay over. They weren't like that. They didn't, Mm -hmm. like, that wasn't something that they did very often. So it was odd. But in addition to that, the thumping lasted for like 15 seconds and then would stop. And it was just like a weird sound. It was just not normal. So the two of them actually decided, they were like, okay, just to make sure that she's not having sex over there and we're going to interrupt her, we'll call her phone, her landline, oh. in the other apartment. And if she answers and is like, F- off, then, <laughs> then we'll be like, okay, she's busy. <laughs> so they were really great at, like, she would pick up the phone. And they could mm-hmm. hear through the walls yeah. whether or not she was picking up. And so they listened, called the phone, and it rang like six times and it didn't pick up. And immediately Nancy was like, call the police. So that phone call saved Cheryl's life because <gasps> it, it not only did it sh- save Cheryl's life, it saved Debbie and Nancy's life as well because Bundy had planned to move into the next yeah. apartment after he had murdered and sexually assaulted Cheryl. So the phone call freaked him out and he bolted out of there. And the reason we know that he was probably going to go into the other apartment was because he had left fingerprints on their door handle on both of them. Hmm. Wait, I thought you said there was a shared space, like a living room was the there same. There was, but he didn't know that. So like, so like um, if you're looking at the front of the house, there were two entrances and then in the back was the main oh, shared space. Oh, okay. So at, in the front, it looked like there were two separate apartments, but like there was a thin wall and it was kind of like blocked off and then they both had doors into the shared space. Okay. So does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So like a hotel suite. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like, if you can imagine like having like a weird um, like garden area in the back of your house, it kind of looked like that is what the shared space would like. So Bundy's gone. And they call the police and the police arrive pretty quickly because they're like, 
already at the yeah. Mega House. And at 4 a.m., that's when they were starting to send um, all of the um, victims, including uh, Lisa, to the, the hospital. So they were getting statements at this point, and that's when they get the call and they send people over. And when they show up, Nancy and Debbie are freaked out. And the, oh my gosh, I this was like, I don't know if it was the same officer who found uh, Cheryl, but he he was so loudly. He was like, oh my God, she's still alive. And everyone was just like, thank you. So she would survive her attack. And in addition to that, there would be a nylon mask found on the floor, just like the one that had been found in Bundy's car in Utah. And it had two brown curly hairs in it. So that would be essential to the, the trial process. So before we wrap up, I'm going to tell you about the autopsy of Lisa um, Levy, who, which would like be a big deal. So in addition to her nipple being practically ripped off of her body, there was a double bite mark on her left butt cheek that would be essential in the trial in Florida. In addition to that, she had also been violently sexually assaulted with a Clairol hairspray bottle. It was just like Karen Sparks' attack in Washington in 74. It had been, like, shoved into her body and caused a lot of damage, and it had been found at the scene. She was, like, really, really brutalized, even more so than Margaret Bowman was. Yeah, like because anyone I know. in this case. Luckily, she was yeah. unconscious. Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting that he, like, his escalation of violence, just because, I don't know, it's just weird. So the bite mark would be essential in the trial. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about that. Um, There's also like semen samples that had been found, fingerprints, blood spatter, and the nylon stocking that was used to choke Margaret Bowman in addition to a hands underwear elastic band that had been used on Lisa. So with that, we're going to end is what part used is to do what? Choke them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to end part eight. Part eight. And then we'll move into the trial (laughs) um, in part nine. So uh, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. Bye.